This morning's reading is from John 21, 15 to 25. Jesus reinstates Peter. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have the room for the books that would be written. Thanks, Chris. Hey, well, welcome everyone. It's really great uh, to see you this morning. Hope you're doing well. Um, hope you're really enjoying this incredible summer season uh, that we're having. And I just want to say you're all looking very well as a whole uh, and, and individually as you came in this morning. And it's such a blessing, isn't it, this, this season of summer that we have. Um, and it's been nice just seeing, you know, people just really enjoy it. I think it's a spiritual discipline actually to allow God's creation to really renew us at this time of year um, as he has been. I want to especially welcome you if you are new to St. Paul's and at this time of year where people uh, get involved and often um, start a, a new experience. So I want to welcome you here. Uh, and we would love to help you sort of get involved and get connected at the church. And so after the service, uh, there's a group of us will be over there at our welcome area. We'd love just to get to know you a little bit, let you know what's going on uh, in the life of the church. Well, I don't know uh, if you have sort of found this about January in uh, New Zealand, but it's a slightly odd time of year because we are rested. We're just kind of entering into the sort of summer experience, but uh, we're not quite sort of in, in gear yet, you know, for the year ahead. I don't know if anyone, I can tell that by your sort of collective posture that that's where we're at. Uh, today. But it, I think it is such an important time of year, and in fact, I think it's almost like a sacred time where actually uh, we're called to really uh, commit ourselves afresh to God, to make ourselves available to Him, and in a sense, go through the process that Peter went through uh, with Jesus on that beach as Jesus cooked him a hot breakfast, and there's a recommissioning uh, to the new thing, the fresh start that Jesus does. And so I want to um, lead you into that and really pray that by, by God's spirit that he would give you a fresh word as you think about uh, the new year. 
And we are actually our third weekend, uh, third Sunday in. Uh, you remember Sam on the 10th uh, gave us spiritual practices or, or, or sort of life habits to, to allow us to enter the year well. Uh, and then Emma talked about the challenge of following Jesus last week. So I really commend uh, both those talks to you. And I want to just continue that journey this morning. And I really love how John uh, closes his gospel. Um, it's a really interesting uh, phrase that he uses this last sentence. Uh, he says, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. I always, uh, always find that, that phrase quite curious, and it's like something you'd read at the end of a Tolkien novel or something. You know, it's quite sort of out of place in the gospel. But I want to speak about why I think that uh, is a really amazing expression. But it is a really interesting aspect of the gospel and the Christian life. As John says in the prologue at the other end, right at the start, he says, Jesus is the creator who filled the whole of his creation with light, came to his creation for our sake. This is the critical moment in history. It's what all of creation has been waiting for. It's the fulfillment. And yet out of that, Jesus allows just a partial record of it to be passed on to us. Some essentials written down by a small group of authors, almost certainly not on a typewriter, uh, I should add. But it's an interesting, incredibly interesting, and risky and trusting approach, don't you think? This is probably not how you'd uh, launch a movement with just a few sketchy details and most of the detail left unknown. After everything that Jesus did, God chose to leave us with the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And that is either a catastrophic divine error, uh, or it's something, it tells us actually something really fundamental about the Christian life, something life-giving and positive. I'm uh, going for the second option out of those today, just in case there's a little bit of lightning around in the clouds. So the question for us this morning, and this is sort of the journey I want to take you on, is what does it actually reveal about the Christian life, about our lives? And I think what it means is that although Scripture is our bedrock of truth, it interprets, interprets and judges everything else, God's kingdom is actually unfolding through the lives and stories of his people, of us. That's pretty exciting, right? If we can grasp that. That as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we are living epistles. And so in one sense, we are the books that are being written about Jesus and filling the world in John's terms at the end of his gospel. We are all living, breathing, talking stories of God's grace. Anyone excited by that prospect, though? It should be terrifying and exciting in equal order. And so a key theme for us uh, at St. Paul's this year, it's like our focus or our vision for the year, is this idea of knowing the story, telling the story, and being the story. And I want to put an emphasis on telling the story, that we would really come to know what it means to step out boldly and tell the story of God's grace in our lives to those around us. Because I think that's how the gospel really gets in. I think it's how it penetrates people's minds and, uh, you know, defenses. So what does this mean? Well, basically, I think it means coming to see our lives as stories that fit into and contribute to the bigger story of God's redemptive purposes in the world, that God is doing something really good in the world and that we have an active role in it. We're called into it. We're not just observers on it, celebrators of it. We're actually part of taking that kingdom forward, of laying the track. And I have to confess, uh, you know, it's funny, uh, when you preach things, God tends to challenge you on it, which can be quite uncomfortable. And uh, I have found this way of thinking quite difficult and challenging coming into uh, this sort of early part of January. 
um, as uh, we sort of started in the middle of January. And I found myself quite faced with this quite clear choice, actually, uh, of seeing the same circumstances in one of two different ways. And the question, I, I think this is a question for all of us, as we begin to think about what does the year mean for us, uh, what is the lens through which we see our own lives uh, in this next uh, 12 months? So the question is, is life just a whole list of commitments and challenges and headaches to sort out? You find yourself coming back and just going, here are the same old challenges I've got to sort of get through, think about, the same difficult things waiting for me. Three weeks doesn't actually make that much difference, it turns out, to that list. Or is it an adventure that has coherent shape and higher purpose, despite all of the twists and turns and the unknowns that lie ahead? Something more like this. that God actually has a purpose that is going somewhere. He's not going to leave us somewhere out in the Kiwi bush. Uh, He's actually got a higher purpose that is going somewhere. He's got plans and purposes that he will initiate, sustain, and fulfill through our lives. And speaking honestly, I think that we actually have to resist, especially at this time of year, that natural default to see through the first lens. Here we go again, the same old challenges, the same old tasks. And I just want to affirm for those of you who I know love writing lists that I love a good list. There's nothing wrong with that. But we've got to actually see something beyond and higher than all of that, all of that hurrying and doing and uh, the lists. And as I've come back, I've just had to consciously keep choosing, almost like a spiritual discipline of the mind to keep choosing to see things through the second lens. One thing uh, that really amazes me, actually about the modern way of thinking, probably most of our friends and the people that we know, is that most people can actually commit to just another lap of the sun each year, of just getting on, doing the best you can, climbing the ladder, and getting back to the beach again about this time next year. That is actually the life philosophy of most of the people that we know. And I can understand that at one level because life is actually full of great interactions and relationships and experiences that are hugely life-giving. That's God's gift to us. But there has to be something higher than that. There has to be something more that gives higher meaning and coherence and purpose to it all. Yeah? That's why we're here, by the way. That this journey is actually going somewhere. It's got a purpose, despite the twists and turns. I think that's why Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the human heart, and why Psalm 8 says that we've been made just a little lower than God and given responsibility for his creation because as humans, we are actually designed, designed to discern that higher meaning, that higher purpose, that God has a bigger story that is being worked out in the world, and we are actually invited to take part in it, to take it forward. That is a really exciting thing to be focusing on this morning. And so uh, a key part of our journey uh, that we're going on as a church this year is to understand again, what is God doing in the world today? How is the gospel being worked out in our life and times? And then the second part of that discernment is what does that mean for each one of us? Because every single one here has a role to play. God has called you to something that is bringing his kingdom purposes into reality. We've got to know the story, but we've also got to know our part in it. What are we called to as part of this? And I think the beauty of this and why it's so important to get this really firm foundation set, especially at this time of the year, is that once we know this, we can actually really step into it boldly, not tentatively, 
because we have confidence in a divine author who is in control of it all, who knows the future, knows where he's leading us, and knows what his purposes and destinations are. And the honest truth I have to say is that stepping into what God has for us takes a huge amount of courage and perseverance. Anyone been following Jesus for a long time will know that, hey? It takes a huge amount of courage and perseverance. And I think that's why at the start of each year we need to consciously uh, recommit to the journey and make ourselves available to God again. Anyone old enough to remember the original poster that looks nothing like the characters? Well, over the holidays, um, me and my uh, 10-year-old son, Theo, we, I don't know how we committed to this journey, but we have been watching all 93 movies in the Star Wars saga, which it does feel like at times. He's got incredible stamina, but uh, some of these feel amazingly fresh. I haven't seen them for 30 years, some of these films, but incredibly compelling and fresh. Although Darth Vader, not quite as scary, I have to say. That's another story. But what struck me out of this, as my mind is in neutral as we watch this, was a quite obvious point that these films, these stories, are a series of impossible and perilous situations that the heroes and the heroines boldly walk through despite the odds, compelled and guided and protected by the force. Now, uh, I don't want to uh, bring to you Star Wars to lift it up as a, a spiritual guide for the Christian life. Um, <laughs> I read a brilliant art of you act, uh, interview with uh, creator George Lucas, who once described himself as a Buddhist Methodist. It's a very interesting uh, sort of creative spiritual salad. Any other Buddhist Methodists, Methodists here today? <laughs> you might be by the end of this. But the point of all of this as we watch these films is that the Christian life is not just a series of unfortunate events. It's not just an endless checklist of tasks, but it's so easy for us to come back into this year with that mentality. A whole lot of challenges that we've just got to get through somehow. It is a journey that is initiated, sustained, and fulfilled by God himself. It's full of challenges, it's full of twists and obstacles, as we know, getting through the last year. But no matter what we face, and we have to really believe this in our heart of hearts, is something you would have heard a lot, we can trust our lives to the Creator who has given his own life so that death might die. We sing that great song, but that is the heart of our faith. We can trust the Creator who has given his own life so that death might die. The manger, the cross, the empty tomb, and Jesus' ascension to the heavenly throne with power over all creation allows us actually to follow him really confidently this year. To trust the outcome, even when we can't see the destination. You know, when you think about last year, who on earth knew what was coming? When you think about this year, who really knows the full expanse of the detail that's coming. We can imagine the worst, probably more than we ever could, but who knows what's in store. But the key for us as followers of Jesus, especially when we look out on most of the world going through a pretty dark winter right now, that is not really the key point, knowing what's coming. As Emma said last week, Jesus actually didn't give his disciples really clear destinations when he called them. What he did do is he gave them something to do which brought the kingdom reality into being. And so in Matthew 10.8, uh, uh, the, the greenhorn disciples, they're pretty inexperienced. They've seen a bit of what Jesus has done. He sends them out and he says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
And so the question for us is, if, if we're on board with this, if we really believe this, what does Christian boldness actually look like? And I think more importantly, particularly uh, how you're postured right now, is how do we catch the fire? How do we get excited about this? How do we allow it to really seep uh, into our souls as we were singing, we pretty much sung uh, the sermon today? How do we allow this to really infuse us with passion? Well, um, when I was in my teens and 20s, I'm not sure why, it may have had something to do with my parents, uh, but I became captivated by reading biographies and stories of heroes of faith who had influenced history in God's name. Just started picking up these stories and finding them inspiring and captivating. And as I read these, people like uh, William Wilberforce, Alexander Solzhenitsyn at the time, and, and Francis of Assisi, and I remember at the time as I read these stories, how my whole vision of life was kind of reoriented and reshaped. And I started to get a new sense of actually what I wanted to give my life to. What was a meaningful life? What was a vision of life? Well, uh, people say, and quite rightly, that uh, sermons should be practical. I think that's a fair uh, assumption. Well, I want to invite you this year into the practice of picking up and reading inspiring stories of people of faith. And out of those, because I think out of those, the, the Christian life actually becomes really clear and compelling because we get to see the gospel, not how it was applied 2,000 years ago, but actually in our own life and times. How has God breathed on people and brought them to life and brought his kingdom purposes through them? Anyone else actually excited by this prospect? Yep, thanks. A couple of you in the front, that's good. I'm going to explain uh, what I mean with just a couple of books that I'm uh, reading recently. And I, I don't want to give a false impression that I'm only reading really worthy, deep books. Um, there's been a little bit of Jack Reacher in the middle that I'm ashamed of, not proud of that, Craig Pierce. Um, but there's nothing wrong with clearing your mind. And the first one is this great book, uh, Stan Walker's book, uh, Impossible. It was published only back in October, so it's really fresh off the press. And it's the story of how his parents and he uh, came to faith through these vivid encounters with Jesus. Amazing story. And uh, there is actually so much I love about this testimony of faith. And I want to suggest to you that it's a book you need to read as soon as you can. It's a book you need to give away as a gift. It's an amazing story and testimony of um, God really just breathing on a, on a family. It's a courageous story that's full of honesty. I think it shows us how to tell our own stories to those around us. And I think it's one of the best descriptions I've ever read of how God brings about transformational change in people's lives, especially in really intense situations, both quick, decisive, and miraculous, but also slow and gradual healing. It's an amazing description of the Christian life and change. But what I love uh, most about this book, I think, is that it shows us the power of personal testimony, how important that is as we express the gospel in our world. And you may remember uh, in the book of Acts in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul uh, goes through these constant ordeals where he's constantly having to defend himself and his new faith in mainly Jewish councils uh, and courts. And remember, he is one of the brightest religious scholars of his day. He was educated as a Pharisee and a, under Gamaliel, um, one of the most prominent um, teachers. And he knows the Jewish faith inside out as a committed and educated Pharisee. But throughout Acts, and this is a fascinating part of the story, his main defense is essentially this. He says, I was persecuting the church for all the same reasons that you're accusing me now. But then the risen Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus. He struck me blind for three days, and he told me to follow him. What did you expect me to do? 
I had to rethink everything I knew about the Jewish faith and my religion and the history of how God intervened in the world around the new revelation of Jesus because I met the risen one. How did you expect me to respond? That is Paul's testimony. And in the end, it's the power of Paul's testimony that came out of his direct personal encounter with the risen Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what gives us life and gives the word power. And what I love uh, about Stan's book, he's looking pretty staunch on the cover there, is that he basically says the same thing. He says, I'm just telling you honestly what's happened to me and my family. How else could I respond, and how are you going to respond? I love how he puts that question out there so boldly. That is the power of the gospel and the power of testimony. But the truth is, like Paul, like Stan, it takes courage to step into the story, and I think it even takes more courage to tell the story. And so I really encourage you to read this book, and I encourage you to pass it on. It's an awesome gift. Another uh, story I'm reading right now um, actually was a, a Christmas gift uh, from my mum, and it's this amazing book about Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, his faith, and his leadership within the civil rights movement uh, in the 50s and 60s. And I have found myself so inspired and challenged by this book. It's a story of his childhood experiences, the development of his own faith and philosophy, and then just the adventure and drama uh, of the movement that he led, the civil rights movement. And I think where it gets really real for us is that uh, he didn't ultimately do what he did just out of a passion for justice, although that was obviously hugely central in his own experience of injustice. That was a huge part of it. But he also led out of this conviction that no matter what he faced, Jesus was walking with him and fulfilling his kingdom purposes through him. That whatever happened, God would sustain him and that he was working with the grain of the universe that he was on the side of God's mercy and justice. And that gave him courage, even though he was afraid. I read uh, this section at the start of last Sunday's service, but I'm going to read it again, because it describes, I think, the heart of what we are about as Christians. Like the Apostle Paul, like Stan Walker, like Martin Luther King Jr., we can actually say with huge confidence, I know that Jesus has called me and is with me, and that whatever happens... All will be well in any circumstance. Amidst all the pressure, as the civil rights movement really begins to gain momentum in the 1950s, this huge amount of pressure comes on Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, his house is bombed, his family's under threat, and he has this moment where he has to actually decide under all of that pressure whether he's going to make himself available to God. And he has this really poignant uh, moment Um, that I'm going to read to you. It's really a watershed moment in his life. He says this. His biographer, rather, said, he put his head in his hands and bowed over the table. Oh, Lord, he prayed aloud. I'm down here trying to do what is right. But, Lord, I must confess that I am weak now. I'm afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand with them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left can't face it alone. He sat there, his head still bowed in his hands, tears burning in his eyes, but then he felt something, a presence, a stirring in himself. And it seemed that an inner voice was speaking to him with a quiet, 
assurance. Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And I will be with you even unto the end of the world. He saw lightning flash. He heard thunder roar. It was the voice of Jesus telling him still to fight on. And he promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. He raised his head. He felt stronger now. He could face tomorrow whatever happened. God and his wisdom meant it to be. King's trembling stopped and he felt an inner calm he had never experienced before. He realized that I can stand up without fear. I can face anything. And for the first time, I really love this bit, God was profoundly real and personal to him. He grew up uh, the son of a preacher, uh, so this is an interesting uh, part. The idea of a personal God was no longer some metaphysical category he found philosophically and theologically satisfying. No, God was very close to him now. A living God who could transform the fatigue of despair into the buoyancy of hope and who would never, ever leave him alone. You know, I know for a lot of us, we're probably not going to lead uh, global movements, uh, things like Martin Luther was thrust into, but we do face situations where we need God's help. We come to the end of our strength, the end of our power, we're afraid, and we need his reassurance. Following Jesus takes courage. And I think the most important thing, and it's a good thing to do at this time of year, is discerning the fears that actually hold us back and get us stuck. And they're often subtle things things that we're not even aware of until we call them into the conscious. And we've got to speak truth to those things. And the truth of our faith, that is if Jesus has defeated death, which we believe he has, then what in the world are we afraid of? What would hold us back? And so uh, today... If you want to take something practical away from this talk, then I really uh, encourage you to read these books and books like them, books that bring what God is doing um, to life in real people's lives. Of course, uh, you know, the best book for this is the Bible itself. It's full of stories of heroes of the faith being called by uh, God, as we hear about in Hebrews. And it's a really good time of year to sharpen up our devotional time with God. And I want to put before you a resource that we have just found really great. It comes out of HDB. Uh, it's Pippa and Nikki Gumbel, and it's a Bible in one year, where they do the readings and they just do a little sort of um, life devotional commentary. It's very simple. It's very clear. If you need to get sharpened up again, then this is a great resource. It's lifeinoneyear.org. going to end today, um, and we're going to have a chance just to respond in ministry and worship, but I want to end today with an aspect of our faith that I think is so important because it often blocks uh, our, us following uh, Jesus, following God really boldly. And at this time of year, I think we need to come back to the heart of God's story, the very center of it. And the very center of God's story is that we, each one of us, are invited into close, intimate relationship with God. Not because of anything we have done, but because we are immersed in God's inescapable love and grace. That's the heart of the story. As Paul says in Romans, there is nothing we can do, there is nowhere we can go to escape from God's love and his grace and his mercy. 
you know, the challenge is that this grace is so counterintuitive, it's so uh, counterfactual to the world as we know it, that the human spirit is deeply suspicious of God's grace. Do you find that in your own life? We believe in the end there must be something we have to do to earn it, or at least to be good enough to qualify for it, because we're so deeply suspicious of it. How can it be the real thing? And so we find so many ways of disqualifying ourselves from the story. In our own minds from receiving God's uh, grace and forgiveness. And I think this underlying uh, suspicion or sense of disqualification is actually cancer to our journey of faith. It shortens our stride and it actually makes our steps tentative and fragile as we follow Jesus. The truth is that for all of us, and this is the grace of God, we are sinners saved and saints on the way. And there is a lot of messing up and mess on the way between here and the kingdom come. It's a really good thing to acknowledge humbly uh, in church, isn't it? But to boldly walk into what God has for us this year, to lean into that story with all our strength, which is what we're committed to as a church, we need to honestly ask ourselves this morning, do we feel disqualified? Do we feel like we have a right to be in this story and to be in the family? And that's why uh, we find ourselves in this moment with Peter having a cooked breakfast uh, made by Jesus after he's jumped out of the boat and very undignified uh, swum ashore as he sees the risen Jesus. And this reading is how John chooses to end the gospel. And I think that's really important because it says something fundamental about the Christian life. That's why it's at the end. It focuses on Peter who has the best possible reason to feel disqualified at this point. He's a good character for us. Remember, uh, quite a long time earlier in the gospel story, Jesus renames Simon uh, Cephas, Cephas in Aramaic, Petros in Greek, meaning rock. And what Jesus is saying is that Peter is going to be the rock on which he builds his church, the solid foundation. And yet that solid rock crumbles spectacularly at the critical moment when Peter denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Serial denial. <laughs> And in this tender scene at the end of John's gospel, the risen Jesus cooks his hot breakfast for Peter. And as they talk, Jesus reaffirms Peter's identity and his role in the story. And I think this is the kind of experience, the journey we all have to go through. We need to be recommissioned. Jesus needs to speak to us afresh. This beautiful moment where Jesus gently undoes Peter's early, earlier denial by asking him three times, do you love me? And I found a really interesting detail in this this week that I've never seen before, is that John, uh, sorry, Jesus doesn't call him Peter, he calls him Simon, son of John. It's as if he's going back before that calling to his original identity to re-establish him on a new truth, on a fresh truth. And I think at the start of this year, we all need to know and hear what Peter knew and heard from Jesus. That Jesus welcomes and affirms our place in the family, and on the team. That we are not disqualified, but we have a full part to play in this. And so I think we need to consciously choose to make ourselves available to Jesus again, actually to reaffirm our love and commitment for him, just as Peter does. It's a relationship where it's going in two ways. And so the question I have for you this morning is when you really search the depths of your heart this morning, do you really know that Jesus welcomes you 
that he affirms you and that he loves you and that his grace is big enough to not disqualify you from being in the family and on the team. I know you know that here. Do you really know it deep down? Does the non-Sunday version of you know it? Do you know that you're not disqualified from the story? That God's grace, forgiveness, and mercy is actually big enough for all of us? I'm going to invite the band, and hey, why don't you uh, stand as we um, respond this morning, and we have the blessing of time. You may just want to close your eyes as we just really focus. And, um, one of the f- things I find really interesting about uh, this encounter with uh, Peter and Jesus is that um, so much of Peter's denial, I think, was wrapped up in the shock, the surprise, uh, the unexpected turn of events that happened, that, that Jesus' kingdom uh, didn't run to his expectations. And so there was disappointment. And I think when we come back to Jesus, when he recommissions us, we often have to unfurl our own expectations of him and our disappointments of what's come before. And so today I just want to invite you that uh, as um, Chris is just going to play this, uh, this beautiful song of his uh, over us, um, to not miss the moment, but actually take uh, this time to step forward. And if you want to be prayed for, someone just to bless you, lay a hand on you, I want to encourage you just to come and be recommissioned. If you need to hear these uh, words of Jesus again, if you need to bring your disappointments before him, if you want to make yourself available to him afresh this year, then this is a great opportunity just to step up and allow someone to, to pray for you and just to bring that before him by his Holy Spirit today.